0: old. Wednesday night, got home from church Wednesday night, and Laura and I got the boys in bed this past Wednesday night. Got home, got cleaned up, and got the boys in bed. They fell asleep pretty quick, and after they fell asleep, we went uh, to our bedroom, and we uh, retired for the night and, and went to sleep. And last Wednesday night I fell asleep pretty quick and I was sleeping pretty soundly. And then around twelve forty five I heard two things on Wednesday night happen simultaneously. At twelve forty five I jolted out of my sleep and at the same time that I heard Laura uh, not screaming but very loudly saying What is that? What is that? I also heard outside on our porch a sound going... As I came out of my sleep, as I was trying to comprehend what I was hearing, both uh, the sound of Laura saying, What is that? And the actual sound that I could hear out on the porch, I had a moment... Uh, of discombobulation, a moment of uh, fear began to seep in as I began to think to myself, what's going on? And so I looked at Laura, uh, there in the dark, I looked at her and I said, uh, what, what is it, what's going on? And she said, I don't know, I just heard that noise, and the noise stopped, it stopped, and I said, well, how long did you hear it for? And she goes, I don't know, I just woke up and heard this noise. Went, well, you think somebody's out there, like, what do you think? I don't know think it's an animal? You think it's a person? I don't know. I kept trying to stall because I kept waiting for her to say, I'll go out there and check on it for you, baby. (laughs) Which she did not. And so I did what a man's supposed to do. I didn't feel real manly. I felt real scared. Is how I felt. I got up I slipped on a pair of shoes and uh, walked to the door and looked out. Now here's the thing you have to understand. In our house, every window has blinds on it except for one and that is the door from the from the back porch area into the kitchen which is where the sound came from so as i'm standing at that i'm standing at that bedroom door and i'm thinking to myself man when i walk out there if he's out there looking through that window what am i gonna do somebody out there and so finally i took that step and i looked and there was nobody there there was nobody out uh, on the porch and uh, so I went to the boys' room and I just checked on them. Then I made sure all the doors were locked and I looked through the house. And uh, where we live, there are some rabbits. There's been a couple times, uh, Bob and Gene can tell you, and, and Brother Anthony and Catherine might be able to. There's been a few times that I've even seen deers come through our neighborhood before that have, I guess, come down from the mountain, or maybe over from the Mullins farm. And so occasionally there's even deer. And so probably an animal. I didn't know. And I was worried. And I was concerned and fear gripped my heart in that moment when I woke up and heard that sound out on the porch and heard my wife uh, very excitedly saying, what is happening? What is occurring? After I looked out that window and after I saw that there was nobody there, my boys were okay, they were both sleeping soundly, and I saw that the doors were all locked, even after that, Even after that, for 25 to 30 minutes, my heart was still racing, and it was still pumping. And that adrenaline and fear was still there, still there for probably 25 to 30 minutes, just wondering, I wonder what that was that was making that noise. Concern, worry, fear. There's nothing to be worried about at that point. There's nothing to be concerned of. There was nothing to be afraid of. But that's the thing about worry and concern and fear. When fear grips us, fear does not want to let go. and Worry does not want to release you. The Bible tells us that there is in fact the demonic warfare that rages. And so it's it's not just fear and worry in itself, but there actually are these forces in life. This evil one who wants us gripped by that fear and by that worry. And that is one of his weapons that uh, he uses and that his, his, his great forces use to try to hinder the people of God is to keep us enslaved to fear and worry. If there are things in life that worry you, say amen. All of us. Every person in this room knows what it's like to have concern and worry and fear. Whether it's the fear of starting back to school and wondering if you'll do well with your grades or, or whether uh, you'll, people will like you and whether those friendships will be there. Fear over your job. Will you keep it or will you lose it? Are you up to the task? Fear with medical doctors and concerns about where is your health headed. Fear in relationships. Fear for children. There's all types of fear And worry that grip us fear and worry is such a natural part of our existence it's something that we feel and go through day after day that's what makes what Jesus has to say about worry so shocking we're so used to worry and we're so used to being concerned about the things of life that is what makes what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So amazingly, shocking and stunning. I want you to turn with me there to Matthew chapter 6 and go to verse 25. And I want us to see today Jesus' shocking statement, his shocking proclamation to us, uh, human beings gripped by fear, His shocking statement to say to us, "Do not." Worry in the midst of a worry-filled world. When worry dominates our mind, Jesus looks at you today, and he looks at me, and he looks to all of his disciples and his followers, and Jesus says, in the midst of worry, "Do not worry." Matthew chapter six. Starting in verse 25, let's read together and listen to what Jesus has to say about worry. His disciples are worried. The people who came to Jesus are worried. A lot to worry about in their day. Worry about where's your next meal going to come from? Worry about what the Roman government is going to do to you. Worry about providing for your children. What's going to happen in their lives? This is an age of uncertainty. In the midst of all this worry... Jesus says in the sermon of the mount Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 he says therefore i say unto you take no thought for your life don't worry about your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on it is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or more than clothing Jesus, you can imagine him preaching there on the great mountainside. And maybe the birds were close by. Jesus says to those hearing this great outdoor sermon, he says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not not much better than they? Is Jesus not care about you as much or more than the birds of the air? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, he brings beauty to the fields. And isn't that, isn't that, think about God. Think about the awesomeness of the God we serve. He could just make a field with what's necessary in that field. But God was not content to just make a field. He takes a field and he takes creation and he colors it with beauty. And he adds great colors to it for us to enjoy and for us to see. Man, if you love this wonderful weather, and if you love being able to be outside in it and see what God has done, if God is the master artist, say amen. He's an artist. We've got some artists. Brother Bob's an artist. There are others among us that are artists, but there is no artist like God himself. And he says, look, verse 29, I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like these flowers. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow will be cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, he says it again, take no thought, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But you, what are we as Jesus' disciples to do? But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus says, take your mind, take your thoughts to a higher plane. Seek God's kingdom and his will first. And as you do that, he will add these things to you. Jesus is not saying here to not work, to not toil, to not put forth effort. He's not saying you should just float through life expecting others to provide for you. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying to people who are consumed with those worries, he's saying to those that that are in danger of allowing just physical needs to hinder them from seeing all of what God has done and who God is He's taking those who are consumed with physical things and working and toiling and laboring and always worried about how are we going to provide this and this and this. And he's saying to them, you need to step back. And you need to see the bigger picture that God loves you. And God is not going to abandon you. And God is going to provide in your life for you as you work for his kingdom. If God has been good to you, say amen. I see a group of people here clothed today. Most of you, different clothes than you had last Sunday, and most of us will put on something different tomorrow. Oh, God has been good to us, and I think those of us that clearly have so much, Jesus would say to us today: You need to step back. You need to ask yourself: Is your life just consumed with these things, or is also consumed with my name and my glory? In my kingdom verse 33 jesus says you he says you can see him pleading with his disciples seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you so he says it again take therefore no thought for the morrow for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself don't be so consumed with what tomorrow has or what will occur he says hey tomorrow's going to happen one way or another sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof there's enough to deal with today without letting worry consume you for tomorrow worry is a favorite tool of the devil because worry wrecks havoc it wreaks havoc in so many ways think about all the way that worry affects us worry impacts your health for many when they begin to get consumed by worry it raises the blood pressure In some, it creates headaches. Others begin to experience insomnia when they begin to worry about things. Worry is a contributor to heart disease and nausea and overall lack of energy. All of those things can be related to worry. Worry not only impacts our health, but worry impacts us mentally. Proverbs 12, 25 tells us anxiety in the heart. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. That's right out of the Word of God. You didn't have to pay 20 bucks to buy a book to tell you that. The Word of God says anxiety in your heart causes depression within a man. Oh, mentally, they say worry related to mental issues affects at least 25 million people in our country. One in five homes are affected adversely when there is worry within it. 15 to $35 billion a year is spent helping people cope with mental worry. Worry impacts your health, and worry impacts your mental well-being. And when worry consumes you, it will reduce you. Worry over finances is the number one cause of divorce. The number one cause of divorce, they say, are people that have financial issues, that get out of hand, that grip them, and they worry and worry and worry. So I would say to the young couple today, and the middle-aged couple today, and the older couple today, before you buy that bigger house or that a nicer vehicle before you continue to just buy more clothes and clothes and things and things before you take that trip you need to remind yourself financial worry is the leading cause of divorce in our nation and so worry consumes us and when we begin to worry what happens is worry takes over and worry begins to limit and impair and hamper our ability to trust god because we worry Instead of trusting God that He will provide as we seek His kingdom, worry begins to grip us and we're consumed by that worry. And when we are consumed by worry, it hurts our ability to joyously share the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. And so you can see, you can see how worry grips us and why it is one of the favorite tools of the enemy to use worry in your life hurt you and to hamper you. And so this morning to help us identify how to biblically approach worry so that we can obey this shocking statement of Jesus because it is so natural to worry and all the statistics and all the things show us that worry is such a part of our life but we need to allow Jesus' statement to shock us and to wake us up and we need to wrestle with it and we need to be confronted with it and we need to get on the altar and we need at home to pray and ask God. We are consumed with worry we need to plead with God. Lord, help us to obey this command of yours to not allow it to overtake our lives. This morning, I want to show you some things we see through Jesus' little teaching, some things we see that can help us deal with worry supernaturally and spiritually, what the Lord says about our worry. And if you want to be able to obey Jesus and worry not, have a grip on your life, if you want the Word of God to empower you, to help you deal with worry, say amen. And listen, listen. Step number one we see from the text, and this is where it begins. Now, this is not just self-help. This is not self-help. This is not you helping yourself. This is the Word of God telling you how to live. There's a big difference between you just doing self-help and the Word of God saying, listen to me. Wake up and let me tell you how it really is. First step to dealing with worry. Number one, refuse victimhood. Refuse to let the enemy trap you into being a victim. The enemy wants you to be his victim. He wants to have dominion over you and control over you and power over you. And so sin is entered into this world. And sin grips us and it pulls our heart away from God because that is what the devil has always desired. Not that we would belong to God, but that we would be his victim. Oh, we were a victim. We were victims we were victims trapped in bondage to sin but my friend the bible says you are not a victim anymore you are no longer a victim to sin you are a saint and you are redeemed if you believe today that jesus saved you say amen then you will deal with worry it's not going away but when you confront worry in your life you must remember you are no longer a victim you are a saint who belongs to the God of God, the Lord of lords, the Lord of hosts, is the one who watches over you. You are not a victim. Look at verse 25 at what Jesus says. Look at what he says. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on it. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than clothing? Say after me. Say, I I am not a victim. Now, wait. When you say this, you say it under the power of God. Say today. Then we're talking about sin. You're not a victim of sin. You walk under the power of a mighty God. So say after me today: I am not a victim. We need to preach the word of God to ourselves, because the devil wants you to be a victim. To him, what happens to a victim? One hurts somebody. One another imposes their will on somebody. And that person becomes a victim to a crime or to an event. And this great event of sin entered in in the garden. And we became victims. All of creation becomes a victim to this sin. But Jesus shows up on the scene. And he says, I have come to preach deliverance. And I have come to preach freedom. And I have come to say that the day of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord, is now. It has arrived. You're not a victim. Do not let worry victimize you. Do not succumb to victimhood. Remember what 1 Peter 5.10 has said about the saints of God. The God of all grace has called us, me and you, God has called us. To what? What has he called us to? To victimhood? No. 1 Peter 5.10 says the God of all grace has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a little while, yes, there are things that will cause pain and hurt and suffering and they cause us to worry, but Peter says, listen. Don't let worry consume you as you go through that, as you suffer a little while. Remember that what God is doing is making you perfect, established. He is strengthening you and He will settle you. How do you deal with worry biblically? One of the first things you must do is renounce what the enemy wants you to believe about yourself. He wants you to be a victim and stay a victim. So he can control you and direct you and so you'll be pushed and pulled by sin. And Jesus says, don't be a victim. He uses clothing and he uses food because those were two big pressure issues in that society that people would worry about. And he says, stop that. Stop letting that pull you here and there and guide every decision you're making. You need to start making your decisions from a different perspective. Not this position of in fear of these things, but in a position recognizing the kingdom of God. So how do you deal with worry biblically? The first thing you got to do is ask the Lord, Lord, help me to not be a victim to this. Help me to know who I am. So how do you deal with this worry biblically? Number one, you refuse victimhood. Refuse it. By the way, that's a hard issue for us because so much of our society, particularly when it relates to the government Is all about letting people know you're a victim and we will take care of you. You You're a victim and we will take care of you. You You're a victim and we will take care of you. You You're a victim and we will take care of you. Do not misunderstand me. There is a role for government to help people. But the truth is, if you're ever going to break out of a cycle of somebody else controlling your life, whether it's the government or another person or sin, at some point you have to say, I am not a victim any longer. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to walk under the power of the Lord. I'm going to walk under his protection and his provision. And I'm going to do it his way. This morning, if you're battling worry, first, you must refuse victimhood. Do not let another person, place, or thing, do not allow it to make you a victim. You be the saint that God says you are. Number one, you must refuse victimhood. Number two, you must think rationally. The devil does not want you to think rationally. He wants to place worry in your mind so irrational thoughts begin to consume you and to take over you. And I, I, if you've ever gone through any sort of prolonged sickness, you know about this. And when I battled that staph infection uh, six years ago or so, man, I went through that. I mean, I constantly thought about it because there was the staph and I could see it. And I was worried about it. And is this ever going to change? Is ever going to be different? Is it's ever is this, 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 this? And you begin to not think rationally anymore. You begin to think irrationally. As your mind goes here and there and there and there. So Jesus steps up and he says, refuse victimhood. And secondly, through this teaching, he actually mirrors for us what rational thought looks like. Look at verse 26 and how he shows them to quit being irrational. Look at verse 26. He just, I mean, again, you can imagine Jesus preaching. And he just looks over at the birds and says, look, behold the fowls of the air. Do they sow? No, Jesus, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? When you needlessly worry, when I needlessly worry, it is an affront to God. You say this again. When I worry and you worry and we keep worrying, now don't get me wrong. Things happen and we have to think rationally, what could the effects be? What might happen to me? How should I prepare for my family or my church in light of this? That is okay. But, when worry then grips us, and we are consumed by those things, and that's all we can talk about, and that's all our mind dwells on, and that's all we deal with, then at that point, we're no longer dealing with an issue. We are letting worry control us, and as believers, nothing Nothing is to control us. But the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, There is we don't, we're not bound to wine anymore. We're not bound to alcohol anymore. We're not bound to drugs anymore. And we say, amen, I'm not bound to that. But Jesus seems to be saying here, guess what? You're not bound to worry anymore. You are bound to God the Father. And do you trust Him or not? Look at what He has done with the birds. Do you trust that God? Or are you going to trust your own worry? Man, if you battle with the sin of worry, say Amen. And Jesus says, it's an affront to God. Because look how he cares for his creation. And you're saying he's not going to care for you? Because when worry consumes you, that's what you're saying. You're saying, God, I don't trust you because I'm, I'm holding on to this worry. Zephaniah 3.17. Look at it on the screen. You might be able to not be able to read it, but just if you can read it, read it. If you can't, just go along with me. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord God in your midst, the mighty one will save. If God is mighty, say amen. The mighty one will save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will, I love this verse. Some of you need to write this down. And he will quiet you with his love. Oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to occur? And Zephaniah says, listen man, that God loves you. And God rejoices over you with gladness. And he's going to quiet you down. He's going to bring it down. Now listen, when Laura and I were in that room and we heard that noise, we were not quieting each other down. We were, what is that? What's going on? Think it's a person, animal? What do you think's going on? What should we do? You know what I should have done? I just thought of this. I should have called Mr. Bob right here and said, can you go check my back porch for me and make sure I'm okay? Listen, you worrying today, a lot of you are. Some of it we all know about. We know what Ms. Jean's been through, we all know that. But some of you today have worry that only the pastor knows about. And some of you today have worries that the pastor doesn't know about. Zephaniah says, the Lord, when he sees you, his people, it makes his heart glad. It makes Jesus glad when he sees you, when he sees your family, when he sees your children, when he sees his people, he says it makes him glad. And when this worry and this concern is rising up, it says God who is glad over you, that he just comes in and what he wants to do is just quiet you down. And to tamp that down a little bit to supernaturally come into your life and say, would you just, just chill out? And just calm down because I am the mighty God who saves. And the mighty God who saved back then still saves today. And the mighty God who saved you from your sin has not left you here to be consumed by worry. He says, listen, I'm going to quiet you and I'll rejoice over you with singing. you got to refuse victimhood. And today some of you have got to start thinking rationally the way that Jesus does in this passage to get them to calm down. And realize this is who God is. When I say think rationally, I'm not talking about the world's rationalism. I'm talking about the rational God who has said, I'm in control. And I got this. And you need to start understanding life in light of that. So this morning, if worry's got you, you've got to refuse victimhood. And you've got to start thinking rationally. And number three, you've got to start acting practically. When it comes to worry, you've got to refuse victimhood you got to think rationally, and you got to act practically. Jesus keeps on going with practicality. Look at verse 27. He says, which of you taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? It's not practical to sit around all day. That's what a child does. A child sits around all day and thinks, man, I wish I could grow, I wish I could grow, I wish I could grow. When you're an adult, you don't sit around and do that. Why? Because you know you can think and think and think all you want, but thinking is not what makes you grow. Start thinking Start acting practically. Don't sit around and do that. Verse 28, why take you thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now you need to take that and you would also think about what the Apostle Paul says. Because Paul's going to help us understand this even more. Do you know the beauty of you being clothed in God's eyes is not first and foremost what you have on the outside? The beauty of the clothing that God gives you that is greater than the glory of Solomon is the clothing of the white raiment of the saints that when you are saved, And you have been redeemed. You are no longer clothed in sin, but you are clothed in the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God, there is no greater clothing you could ever own. So the word of God says, calm down. Calm down, because what you need to understand before you ever pick that outfit out is that God has already clothed you with the best clothing you will ever possess. And it is righteousness that He has placed on you. And that is even greater than any outfit that Solomon ever had. And you can imagine the court of Solomon, all the kings and queens that came to visit him and all the royalty and all the power and all the money and all the wealth and all the sinfulness. And We get to the New Testament and we're taught a different way. We're taught, don't be consumed by that. Be consumed with the righteousness of God. Does the outward clothing matter? Yes, it needs to be modest. It needs to be pure. It doesn't need to be ostentatious. That's not for us. That's for the world. Yeah, dress in a way that that honors God. Yes, and you can do that, and you, and you can wear nice things and do that. That's okay. But what you need to understand that God has already clothed you. He's already taken you in your brokenness and your sin. He's already put that white raiment on you. And there is no better outfit you can ever possess or own or put on that is greater than the clothings of the saint, the simple whiteness, the white garment that he has placed on us, those who embraced his son, Jesus. Some of you are worrying today. and You need to ask under the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. You need to ask today, the Lord, to help you to not be a victim, and to help your mind to think rationally, To help your life begin to act out practically what God has said about himself. 1996, I was in 11th grade. In 1996 in Manila, the capital of the Philippines, there was an outbreak of plague. 300 people quickly caught this plague and it created a great fear uh, that it was going to spread. 300 people in 1996, this, this plague broke out. In Manila the Philippines 300 people got it seven people died very quickly the source was a mystery in the rainy seasons of August and September the streets and the sewage canals of Manila are flooded and clogged because so much rain falls flies and cockroaches uh, proliferate and the trash floats up to the surface so much water comes in that it makes the sewage come up and so flies and cockroaches uh, uh, go crazy in August and September in Manila to combat, they didn't know what was causing it. They didn't know what was causing it, and fear began to grip the people. And so the mayor of Manila, Alfredo Lim, he knew man, everybody else was panicking. I got to think, I got to think practically. And so he came up with an idea. They didn't know what was causing it, but they're pretty sure it's got to do with all this sewage that is coming up, and there's some kind of disease that is spreading. And so Alfredo Lim, the mayor of Manila, had a great idea. He put a bounty on flies and cockroaches. One peso for every ten flies brought dead or alive to health officials. And one and a half pesos for every ten cockroaches. He put money on them. He said, you kill the flies and you kill the cockroaches and we'll pay you. Health officials targeted some of the poorest areas areas of the city. And on the first day of the program... The Department of Public Health, listen to this, had over 2,000 insects brought in in plastic bags. And they paid the people on the spot. The chief of the health department said, If we can kill all the flies at once, we can stop the spread of this disease. The city was in a panic. It was beginning to create a panic on the world scene. Because people are like, man, this is going to be bad because we don't know where this plague is coming from. People have gotten sick very quickly. There are people that are dying. Everybody panicked except the mayor. And the mayor said, you know what? We know this has got to be coming from all the filth in the city that comes up with the rain. This has got to be a contributing factor more than likely. So let's kill off the insects that are going to spread this. And so they put a very small, I mean, one peso, peso and a half, that's not much money at all. It's like, what, five cents, six cents for every dead fly or cockroach. We will pay the people and they were able to slow down stop the spread of that plague by one simple act while everybody else was panicking because one person thought practically can i tell you today the devil wants you to panic and he wants you to worry but jesus says god's got this god has got this so refuse victimhood and think rationally and act practically And finally, live faithfully. Look at verses 33 and 34. Not consumed by worry over those things, but what are we to live? Look at verse 33. But you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient today, there's enough things today to worry about. Don't worry about tomorrow. Instead, focus on the kingdom of God. And my friends, this is how we are called to live today, by pouring ourselves into the kingdom of God, by trusting and depending on the king of this kingdom, King Jesus. So today I would say to my friends, those that are broken and hurting, no, you do not have to lie. You do not have to pretend in this place that that hurt is not there. It is there, and it is right to acknowledge it. And it is there and it is right to acknowledge that there is concern and that there is worry. Jesus is not saying you have to hide from these things. But He is saying they cannot control you. They cannot consume you. For what controls you and consumes you is to be God and His kingdom. So this morning, if you are worried, I encourage you to come to the cross, to come to Jesus. to Take your worry to Him. Today, to claim that promise that you don't have to be a victim of sin, but you are a saint in his image. If you are worried today, I encourage you to quit letting the irrationality of worry consume you and begin to think rationally. And for some of you, that'll mean talking to another believer. Listen, when there, there are things that happen in church, sometimes there are things in church that happen that people do things. And there are three or four men in the church that I usually call because you know what happens to me? Fear begins to grip me. And worry begins to hit me. Sometimes there are things outside the church. Not, not people in the church, things outside the church. And fear and worry begin to hit me. You know what I do? I pick up the phone and I call some believers who are also saints. And I say, man, I'm worried about this. And like, what's going to happen? And you know what believers do? Believers have a way of believing. They believe in God too. And so you know what they do? They help you to think practically according to God's word and not your worry. Some of you today, man, when you go through that, let a believer know. Let a believer pray for you. Let a believer speak the words of God in your life so you don't let worry cause you to think irrationally. Let that word through another person and through the word of God help you to think rationally and to act practically. Commit in your life that you will live faithfully. I know today in this church, just, just today, we have people that have lost family members. We have people that have trouble at work. We have students that are concerned about situations at school. We have parents that are worried about their kids. We have kids that are students or or kids that are worried about their parents. We have folks that are worried about medical issues. We have people that are worried about relationships. Maybe there's somebody here today that you're just worried about yourself because you know that things are not right between you and God. You know that there is hidden sin You think, God won't forgive me, or I can't do this, or I'll fail again. Why even try? Jesus says, whatever situation you're in, do not let worry consume you. Let me speak peace to you, and let me quiet you. And let me love on you with a gladness that only the God of heaven possesses and can give. Jesus says many shocking things. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that ran a lot of people off. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword that will divide those who believe in me and those who do not. We'll see later that Jesus says, love your enemies. Who can do that? Jesus said, do it. There are many shocking things that Jesus said. But when we think about how we really live, I wonder, is there any more shocking than Jesus looking at people that are bound by worry and looking at them and saying do not worry any longer I've got you if you know he's got you today say amen some of you are going to think irrationally in a minute you're going to think worldly. As the music plays and your opportunity comes to kneel at an altar, to have somebody else pray with you or do you pray with God and to confess what your worry is instead of doing that, some of you are going to think worldly thoughts. You're going to think, I've got to get out of here and go eat. You're going to think, what is somebody else going to think about me? They may think some horrible thing about me. My friends, don't think worldly. Think rashly under the Word of God. And if you brought a worry into this place today, if you brought a concern into this place, bring it today and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And you spend time in prayer with Him this morning. This is what this is, a house of prayer. You come and pray to Him today and you leave that worry there and allow Jesus to show you that He loves you and He cares for you and He's got this. And Let Him quiet your spirit today. Would you stand with me? Very reverently, Very spiritually, very focused on what God is doing. Allow God right now, that worry that's in your life, even right now, begin to confess it to the Lord. And He gives you this opportunity to come and to pray and to kneel. I want to encourage you don't walk out with this worry. That's not what He wants for you. He doesn't want you to just carry this burden, He wants to carry it for you. So today, if there's worry and heartbreak in your life, listen, one's already come. You don't have to wait to the music if that worry is there. Listen, you come now and seek the Lord today. Lord, I ask that you would move. Lord, you would help us to not worry. You'd help us to be honest and to use this time to allow you to speak peace to our life and peace to our hearts. Lord, if there's a mom and a dad that are worried about school, if there's a student that's worried about classes that are not afraid they can make it or cut it, or if there's a relationship that's frayed and broken, are those with medical issues, with hurting relationships, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I ask today that they would come, they would kneel, and they would trust you, Lord. We will give you the glory and we will give you the honor in Jesus' name today, brother Cecil. You just sing.